Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited to unpack uh, another Bible study. We are in 2 Corinthians. It is a brand new series. This will be session three. We'll be in chapter two today. And we're going to try to get it all in if possible, if time allows, and it should. Uh, so, uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, let me hit you with a couple of things. Uh, my name's Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's my day job, and also director of themanchurch.com. Uh, that is a hub uh, for a men's discipleship strategy. We provide speakers, teachers, and resources. Uh, and, you know, we have the individual resources. I'll tell you an opportunity there for men. But we also have forty-week uh, curricula. We have four of those. We'll have a fifth one in twenty twenty-four, and you can use those with your groups uh, in your church. Uh, we're here to help you any way that we can. Uh, the bottom line is our strategy features two items: a high challenge, which has been around for a while. We do that through our speakers and our gatherings and our our conferences, but also high equipping, which uh, has not been uh, done very well in most uh, past attempts at a sustainable men's ministry. So the equipping parts where you find our individual resources, our, our Bible studies, our curricula, uh, what we're doing here. Uh, so all that can be found at themanchurch.com. Now, I'm going to shift you off themanchurch.com first and go back to it. Uh, there's a website called rickandbubba.com. That's uh, where the day job is. And in show notes today, under it's, you'll see show notes there on the website, uh, there is a link. You can also check some of our social media at The Man Church. You'll also see the same link there if you follow us on social media. And if you don't, you should. Uh, so uh, there's an opportunity. We have a brand new individual resource uh, that part of our team has just written, uh, and we're excited about this. It's called Jesus Is, and you'll, you'll see it right there. Brian Gill has written this. It's a 31-day devotional, and these are the I am statements that Jesus made. I am uh, the resurrection and the life, and I am the good shepherd. And he goes through 31 days unpacking all these things Jesus says he is. So it's a great resource. It's available uh, for you now at themanchurch.com. But if you want a signed copy of that, go to rickandbubba.com, uh, and you'll see it there in show notes, or follow us on social media. You'll see the link there, too, uh, and you can get that. Also, we're doing autographed copies of Transform. Now, that's a 31-day devotional that I wrote that came out in February. You may already have this, but if you don't or you want to get it for a gift, use that same link, and you can get an autographed copy of that for a man on your Christmas list, or you can get both of these, and they'll both come to you autographed, and you'll save 15% if you bundle and get both of these. So just want to make you aware of that. That's something that's new for, for Christmas that you can do. Uh, back to themanchurch.com on that website, we have tickets to our Man Church conferences coming up in 2024. Uh, we have Birmingham on February 16th and 17th. Robbie Gallaty will be with us. Uh, Rich Wingo will be there. Andy Blanks will be there. I will be speaking. Chuck Hooten doing worship, and we'll introduce the new 2024 resources. That room is over 70% already sold, but there's some good prime seats still there. They're all reserved, and you can get yours and get them before the price increase, which will happen on December the 16th. Also, you could go March 8th and 9th, our Man Church Conference in Starkville, Mississippi, on the campus of Mississippi State University at Bettersworth Theater. Uh, Granger Smith will be there. Uh, what a great story about him walking away from country music to now go out and tell folks about Christ. And and he will be speaking. James Spann will be speaking. He, incredible testimony how James you know spent his his childhood without a dad and the impact on his life. And, and we can talk about that. Also, Scott Dawson will be speaking in Startville. I'll be speaking, and so will Andy Blanks. And Chuck Hooten does worship there. And we'll introduce the 2024 resources, all that happening in Startville on March 8th and 9th. You can get tickets to both. 
or you can get to either one that you choose by going to themanchurch.com. All right, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, just pray that you'll be with us. Uh, I pray, Lord, ahead of the things that we have even going on this week. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to mold us into the men that only you can make us. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, and do say a special prayer for, for me, guys, uh, and all of you out there. I'll be headed to New York City, Lord willing, on Friday. Promise Keepers, we're teaming up with them for their Daring Faith Conference in Brooklyn, and I'll be there talking about where God is in the middle of pain and suffering. So uh, if you're coming to that conference in New York City, Lord willing, I'll see you there on Friday. Uh, or if you're one of the many churches and groups across the country that are doing the simulcast, I'll talk to you then. Uh, all right, so 2 Corinthians 2. If, if you did, all kidding aside, I know it was Thanksgiving last week, and I know a lot of us were traveling and we were out of town. Certainly get that. But you do want to go back and get that archive if you missed last week's uh, study because th- this interesting letter from Paul, and I've tried my best to give you the best timeline as we can to what's going on here. Because when I first started studying the Bible, I thought, well, 1 Corinthians was the, was the first thing he wrote, uh, and 2 Corinthians was the last thing, and that's the only letters there are. And that's incorrect. Paul actually wrote multiple letters to the church in Corinth. We just don't know where they are. Uh, so that sometimes gets a little confusing because this particular letter, though we do believe it was the last letter that he wrote to Corinth. He's actually referencing not just 1 Corinthians, there's some of that in there, but he's also referencing a letter that we've never seen. So you need to keep that in mind. Uh, some of this stuff uh, is you, you start kind of twisting your head a little bit, and you're like, well, he's, he's speaking about something I'm not sure what he's talking about. We can still unpack it basically and try to give you the best timeline that we can on what's going on here. You, you had him firing off the letter in 1 Corinthians. He certainly is upset about a number of things, and we've studied that. You can go back and find that archive uh, at themanchurch.com if you so desire. Um, so he, he, and then when, when he heard, uh, we think from Timothy, uh, that there was still some issues going on that he then took off and took a trip there that, that did not go well. Uh, there was a lot of adversity against him. Uh, he was, he was pretty harsh with him. He got back still mad and then fired off this letter that we've never seen. There, there's one we've never seen. And, and apparently it was very, but he almost had a I'm not saying he regretted it don't hear me saying that but he kind of you ever you ever fired off at somebody or fired a letter off or fired in our days an email off or a text and you're like I wish I could have that back uh, I, I'm not going to I don't I'm not going to take back what I said but I wish I wish I'd have taken a breath or two before I sent that well he has that and he's kind of trying to talk about that uh, as well now we do know that he's 100% defended himself though that's saying, because I've changed my plans, and, and what, what has happened, he says, since I had that visit, since I wrote what we have as 1 Corinthians, and now I've wrote this other letter that we don't know, since I've done those things and, there, and, and, and things have been happening to me, I've been persecuted, I, you know, the, this, this, uh, this silversmith uh, there at, at, in Corinth is after me, uh, his minions have, have gone after me, apparently they may have even beat Paul at one point. He's like, I've decided I'm not coming back for this second visit. Now, he'd been with them for a year and a half. We know that. Uh, and we do know that, uh, that things got calm enough at some point that he wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. So things seem to have worked out, but know this, we jump into this. He, he's been talking about last time we were together and the time before about outward things. He's now going to get in chapter 2 and kind of go inward a little bit, and, and he's going to be talking inward about 
you know, the difficulties that, that he hopes he hasn't caused too much sorrow and anguish for those that support him there. You know, have I, I may have brought some, some issues to y'all and some problems uh, that, uh, that if I had to do it over again, I might have done a little bit differently. Now, he isn't compromising why he's upset. He's just saying, I realize I may have stirred things up there more than were necessary. And so, but he's going to walk through that uh, here in chapter two. So let's, let's look, this is going to be regarding the sorrow that he may have caused. And that's going to be uh, uh, chapter two, verses one and two. Listen to what he says. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So what does that tell us? Well, the first one must have been painful. Because he says, I, I'm not going to have another painful visit. So I acknowledge that, that when I came that things got stirred, and that was kind of painful for all of us. So I've decided I'm not going to do that again. He says, for if I cause you pain, who who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pain? And here's what he's saying. He said, I'm concerned that the, that the decision based on the first visit, which was painful, that's played a role in him changing his mind. There's no doubt about that, about the second visit. The rebellion against Paul's authority had reached an all-time high, most likely, we think, from a single rebel rouser. Now, some of those who, who, who we think one of them came out of this bunch, and this is going to be odd to talk about this because you're like, well, what's wrong with that? And, and on the surface, there isn't anything wrong with those that were very much uh, in the camp of we want Peter, we want Peter, we don't want Paul, we want Peter. These that were against Paul, they did not like they they. Then Paul dealt with this a lot. They really took issue with his apostleship. You were not an apostle, and he was like, "Yes, I was because I met the glorified Christ. I qualify as an apostle, and Jesus Christ gave me the authority the, to do the things I'm doing." And they there was a faction there at Corinth. That and remember, he talks about it a little bit in First Corinthians, uh, where he where they believed the apostleship of Peter was supreme and above Paul, and Paul was secondary, and we don't have to listen to Paul. And Paul was like, "No, Peter and I are equal," uh, and and you know this that we know for a fact that that Paul himself even confronted Peter about his own going bigotry toward Gentiles in front of everybody. We know that took place. Uh, and we have that documented in Scripture as well. Um, and, and Paul, remember, said, I don't apologize for that because the way Peter was acting was incorrect, and I corrected him, and I corrected him boldly, and I corrected him publicly, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, and you see Peter referencing Paul in his epistles, and it doesn't appear that Peter's holding any animosity toward Paul about it. Uh, they, they seem to be on the same page. So there, there, there seemed to be a single person, because remember, inside the church— it doesn't take more than one person. It really doesn't to cause division and factions. All it takes one is one rebel rouser, and then rouser, and then that rebel rouser begins to what pick up momentum and and pick pick up his or her own followers and things like that. And we feel like that was going around, but Paul has decided that this has become at such a level. I think me coming back and throwing my apostle weight around is just going to make things worse. So I have decided, for lack of a better term, I'm going to let things cool down. And by the way, we need to listen to that, especially me, uh, because I, I tend to say I don't want to wait to deal with something. If it's on my mind and I want to deal with it, I want to deal with it right now. And that's not always the right thing to do. 
sometimes it's better to say, let things cool down because if you go right now, it's just going to be a bunch of shouting and arguing. And, you know, and, 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 you know, like I said, I've, I've tried to get to the point where I'm trying to, trying to learn that I'm no longer going to attempt to reason with unreasonable people. Now, sometimes I just don't need to try to reason with someone because they're unreasonable in the short term. They're not always unreasonable, but right now they're so mad and they're so upset. We're never going to get anywhere with this. And Paul's using wisdom from the Holy Spirit that is basically said, Paul, you might have had plans, but I'm correcting them because your plans are flawed. Because Paul's just a man. And, and so we need to take from this since he's talking about it and he's so sure about it that he was corrected by the Holy Spirit. He was corrected by God that this is not a good plan. And he's acknowledging that, and he said, if I come right now, what is he saying? I'm going to bring issues to those of you that I really love and those of you that support me. I'm only going to make life tougher on y'all, so I'm not going to do it. And, and then in verse 2, he's showing what? Diplomacy. I, I, I don't want to bring pain and difficulty on those that have been so supportive, uh, and we think that he's really specifically talking about Aquila and Priscilla because he stayed with them for a year and a half, uh, and and while he was with them, it, there were no riots, nothing like that. It was very, very fruitful, and and I think that he said, I'm afraid that you know everything with Aquila and Priscilla and all of y'all has kind of settled down, and I'm afraid that if I come right now, the peace that all of you are experiencing, that it support me, that I'm going to take that peace away. I'm now going to cause conflict for y'all. There, there, there was some crisis that Paul still hoped would find a peaceful solution, but his inward thoughts were not just about helping his friends and, and, and keeping away, you know, trying to make sure they don't have any sorrow. He also knew there were things that still must be corrected and he still loved them enough that he was going to correct and chastise them if necessary. He's just going to do it a different way. He's not going to back off on what he thinks needs to be corrected. Don't, don't hear that. But what he is saying is, I might want to rethink my strategy. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I think sometimes, uh, I know me, I need to listen to that. There, there's been times that I have let things elevate into conflict, even though I was completely certain that where I stood was the correct place to stand, but the way I did it could have been done wiser. And I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever had that experience. But I want you to know that that I acknowledge that uh, because I tend to be a table turner and and you know a burn the house down kind of person if I'm not careful. And sometimes you know the the dropping the atomic bomb is not always the way to go. Sometimes there's a better way to go about it, and you actually would be more fruitful if you would just listen to the Holy Spirit and 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 do it in a way that is just more wise. That, that's you know being more being more gentle, being a little less confrontational when when it calls for it is not being weak. Many times that is actually being strong, because what you got to be careful of: Am I trying to protect God's church? Am I trying to defend? God, or am I trying to win an argument? And the latter, by the way, is not the way to go. That's 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 not what we're supposed to do. Uh, and I'm speaking to me because I can be very guilty of that. Uh, so, and I, and God has really started to help me with that. Uh, so let's go to uh, the reason uh, for that letter. He's he's not re- referring to the reason for the letter he's writing right now, and he's not referring to the reason he wrote First Corinthians or what we call First Corinthians. What you're going to see now is this letter we've never seen. 
He's about to explain why he sent it, but you got to get in your mind, we've never seen this letter. Some of it's still going back to some of the First Corinthians stuff, but it's a letter we never saw. So, so there's no trace of this letter that remains beyond the hints about it here. So if we want to find out about this letter, this is really the only place we're going to find anything else, uh, else about it. Look, look at verses 3 through 5. So here's what he says. He says, And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it, uh, caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. So he says, uh, I, I realize that uh, that I wrote this letter in place of another painful visit, but I realize the travesties that I exposed in the letter that before I sent that letter to point to the things I pointed to, we're not sure what they were. We'll get a little bit of a hint in a minute. He said, I want you to know I didn't just send that half-hearted. I didn't just shoot that from the hip. I lamented over what I had to say, and I think that's wise. Sometimes you have to tell people a painful truth, but let's at least lament over it. Let, let, let's shed some tears over it. Let's weep over the fact that we have to do this. I've, I've had to do this with family. I've had to do this with friends. Um, you know, some, Sometimes the relationship survived it. I've had times it didn't. Uh, and, uh, and may, but, but we're not all gone yet, so maybe it'll work out before we get there. But it, there, are, there are times when you realize what I have to say is painful. I acknowledge that it's painful, but I'm still going to say it. But, but we shouldn't say it in a way that says, I can't wait to tell you this. I can't wait to wag my finger at you. I can't wait to correct you. So, I, you know, because that's, that's, about, that's, that's coming from the flesh. That's not coming from the Spirit. What we, what we should have is I regretfully have to point this out because it, it, can't, go un, it can't go undiscussed. So, uh, so he wanted them to know, and he says there's things, there's an ongoing issue with an unnamed man, okay, and, and, and we, we're pretty certain there's two schools of thought. I think this first school of thought has the most validity, and I know y'all are really concerned what I think about it, but... It, but I'm but I'm not alone in that. There's others who who agree. And this is this guy that was in this incestuous relationship, the man that, from First Corinthians five that is sleeping with his father's wife. And you know, and, and in that culture, if you're if you're, I mean, that certainly wasn't his biological mama, but it was still considered to be incest that he was having a sexual relationship with the woman that his daddy was married to. And so remember, Paul saying, "Look, pagans don't even do this." And when we think that that, that that was he was still dealing with that, and, uh, and he had called, if you remember, for the man to be excommunicated from the church, and there's thoughts that the man did not go quietly. So this second letter was, he's got to go. And, and he didn't want to have to send that again because he knew how much trouble it caused before. But, you know, they, they, there's even thoughts that this guy was probably influential in the church. He was probably, uh, you know, had, had a lot of influence in the church, might have been a big giver in the church, might have been wealthy, 
that's all speculation. But the bottom line is many theologians say that second letter he was coming back going, has this been resolved? Is this guy still there? You, you ever had to do that before? You ever address something and then you come back and go, have we not dealt with this? Is this still is this still going? And the removal of this guy from the church, didn't everybody agree with what Paul said should be done? So what he had said to do had caused a lot of issues and a lot of strife within the church, and he's realizing I'm somewhere else right now, and those of you that support me, y'all the ones paying the price for this, so I'm sorry I had to address it again, but but this had to be dealt with. So we we, we don't know what happened, but it seemed after Paul sent the letter, went there and dealt with it, in person, that this man likely had def- def- uh, had defied the discipline, uh, and and Paul longed for this situation to be made right. Now that's one that's one theory that that's what he's talking about, and I think that one has the most validity since we can see it so clearly in First Corinthians five. But there also was a man who was uh, head of the legalistic uh, uh, Judaizers, and you know this was that uh, Jewish faction and. Uh, and Paul does not name him. One thing you'll notice about Paul and the grace, if you look at his letters, these men he talks about that are causing trouble in the church, he never says their name. He doesn't name them. Uh, now, you'll notice that when we get to our brother John in his epistles, he had a guy he was upset with that he named him. Uh, and we always laugh about how embarrassing that must have been for that man to read that letter about himself because likely he's the one who read it because he was a big mover and shaker in the church. But anyway, Paul doesn't name them. He doesn't name either one of them. But in spite of the letter and Paul's visit, um, this guy was still leading opposition to Paul and his authority. Uh, and, and his big issue with Paul is what? I don't like this Gentile thing you're doing. You know, we, we, the, the Gentiles are not in, and he opposed Paul when he kept saying, this circumcision thing and all that, that didn't have, that, that you, it, I'll tell you what, is your heart circumcised? And so there, were, there was a faction in the church at Corinth that were Jewish men, and they did not like the things Paul said to them. They didn't like what he said about the Gentiles. And there was one guy who really rebel-roused and had a huge opposition against Paul. There's a chance he's talking about this. Uh, but Paul's been hoping that both of these men, or either, or at least one of them, would have responded by repenting. And the indication is they had not. And so Paul was still having problems with them. Uh, verse 5, when he says this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he is not, uh, it's not to me, but, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, it's, it's to all of you. And whichever man this is, Paul says, Look, this man isn't causing me as much pain as he's causing you. He's hurting the church. And it pains me to say that. He's hurting the church. He's hurting all of you. So the next thing we'll see that we think, verses 6 through 8, that Paul's trying to give an indication of the results of the letter. So what were the results of this letter that we've never seen that he sent? So look at verse 6 through 8. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Look at 8. So I beg you, to reaffirm your love for him. Wait a minute. So so what's happening now? Paul is going back saying, I hate I had to write it. I hate the trouble it caused. I know it caused conflict. I, so much so I'm not going to come back in person because I want to let uh, things have seemed to have settled down. And if I come back, I could stir it back up again. I don't want to do that. But he now is saying, interesting, he says, 
And this causes us to lean on the notion that it was the guy from from First Corinthians five in the incestuous relationship, because Paul thinks the punishment was sufficient. Well, that's the only one we really see him saying this is what you need to do. He never he never talks about punishing the guy that's leading the faction against him, but he's he specifically remember we studied this. He says I want him excommunicated from the church. I want him kicked out, and if I was there, I would kick him out. I want him turned over to Satan, and if we turn him over to Satan, it might be so severe it'll actually save his life. Do y'all remember that from 1 Corinthians 5? I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Now that makes most of the theologians lean that it was that man because why is he talking about punishment? We didn't hear him talk about punishment for the other guy, but he definitely talked about punishment for this guy, so that makes us believe it was likely him. And here's what Paul is telling them, and it's something I think we need to learn too. I think the punishment was sufficient. Enough already. Okay, so apparently at some point he was excommunicated and at some point he was turned over to Satan and Satan's annihilation of him was so severe that Paul says, and that's enough. Now, now let's restore him back to the church. I, I want you, I want restoration to start now, which, which we need to, we need to understand that. So it, it, by the time he had written the letter we're studying now, which was his last, uh, we believe he'd already met up with Titus, and the news that Titus gave him was the man had been dealt with, and the majority had sided with Paul. So Paul now is is concerned that the man could be overwhelmed, and, he's, and we don't know the details of the punishment, but we, but we do know what he called for in 1 Corinthians 5, so that gives us some indication. But Paul is still merciful because do you realize even now he still won't name him? He's not going to drag his name through the mud. They know who he's talking about, and that's good enough for Paul. And and apparently that that he had suffered for his sin, and Paul's reaction is, and we need to get there, okay? If we go and we confront somebody, and it's whatever point, they do repent, and they do own it, and they do turn from their sin, and they turn to God, and they beg for mercy, how dare us not also give the same mercy? You know, it doesn't mean if, if you if you can't get past what happened and you can't be, you know, just keep having lunches with them or fellowship with them, that's fine. But I tell you what Paul is saying, enough with running him down. He's paid the price. Enough's enough. Restore him back to the church. At some point, we that's what we all hope. I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, we're almost disappointed if the person repents. You know, we're like, I want him to keep paying for this and paying for this. I, I, I dislike this so much. What's happened? He's actually owned it. He's actually repented. Oh, well, now we got to restore him back to the church. I want him to keep paying the price. I want him to be, be able to still talk about how bad he was. Well, Paul says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to show mercy now because why? Why would we show someone mercy? We've been shown mercy by the one and only living God. I might not have ever done what a particular person has done, but I've done plenty. Right? And, and, and so, so what they're saying is he must be restored. Whatever happened when they turned him over to Satan, it had worked. And by the way, take a note of that. What Paul said to do worked. I take a note of that too. Because sometimes we don't want to do that. And I think one of the greatest travesties, especially in the Western church, is a horrible lack of church discipline. 
horrible lack of discipline. We think we are so much smarter than Scripture, and the reason why we won't do church discipline, now let me be clear, I'm going to say the first thing, but then I'm going to say the second. Don't, Don't stop listening before I get to the second. We don't do it because we can't stomach it. Now that's, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, now that, that's red meat for you. But now let me stop this. We also need to be sure that if, when it is done, it's not enjoyable for us. Amen. It ought to make us sick. Sometimes it has to make you sick and you just be sick and you do what's right. But what we don't want to do is be these people that are looking around every corner and we can't wait to throw somebody out the church. We don't need to be that either. Even Paul said enough's enough. But however, we can also not overlook that when the man was excommunicated from the church because he would not repent of his sin. If somebody repents of their sin, that's the end of it, okay? But he wouldn't. So he was excommunicated, turned over to Satan, and it worked. And then once Paul said it's worked, no end zone dance. Don't spike the ball. Bring him back and restore him. And, and, and realize how merciful God's been to us. So now he goes further in 7 and 8 and says he must be pardoned. Look, look, at, look at 7 and 8. Um, I'm sorry. Not, uh, we hit that part already. Okay. He said, he said he, now he must be pardoned. Restore him. Remind him you did this. This is the part I wanted to get. Because you loved him and you loved God. Remember, when we don't deal with someone who is in sin that is a detriment to that person, when we just say, it's okay, I don't want to lose the relationship, so you just keep in this sin, when we do that, it may be the easier road, but when we do that, we cease to love the person and we cease to love God. And what Paul says, be sure you communicate that. You did this for two reasons, because you love God and God's standard and his church, but you love the person, and you love them enough to do whatever it takes for them to repent of the sin. Okay, and so uh, so then, and then he says uh, in verses nine through eleven, it's a little bit of a review of the previous letter. Again, look at nine and eleven. Paul says, "For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have uh, what uh, what I have forgiven." Uh, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Now, what does he mean by that? He said, look, the previous letter also had a secondary purpose. He had other objections, that he and what he was saying is, when I sent that letter, I want you to think about this, I was testing you. When I sent the letter, I was going to see if you would listen to it. would, Would you do what I said? I was going to see if you'd be obedient to God or not. So he had other objections other than the ones that had gone all the way back to 1 Corinthians 5, and what he wanted to know is how far did they listen to his authority, and he says how far would they go in rebellion, how far would they go in obedience. He said, I was also testing to see whether y'all believe that when I write something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit or not. I was testing to see how rebellious you would be against my instructions or how obedient you would be. It was a test, and apparently they had passed it. And then you get to 10 and 11, and he says, I think what what, what I wrote, it looks like it was successful. He, he was urging complete forgiveness in 10 and 11. Uh, he said, now it's possible because y'all had followed my instructions. Likely, 
the man Paul called out did not immediately take it well, uh, but now not only had, had the church body forgiven him, Paul would forgive them as well. Because think about this. Now, why, would, why are you saying, where's Paul get off saying he's going to forgive him too? What does he mean by that? I'll tell you what he means for that. All right, let's say that, um, let's just take any of you, uh, Benny, okay? Let's say that somebody did me wrong, and they went after me. And Benny loves me, and he didn't like people going after me, just like they love Paul. And then Benny comes back and says, hey, man, I forgive the guy. Well, that's one thing. They didn't say it about Benny. Do I forgive him? Benny said, hey, trust me, he repented. He's sorry he did that to you. He's sorry he rebelled against you. He's sorry about the, the rebellion. He, he rose up against you. We all think he's sincere, and we forgive him. Well, it's not a given that I do. So what Paul's saying is, if y'all are good, I'm good. If, if y'all, I, I trust y'all that y'all have done the right thing, and I will not hold it against him either. Okay, that's important because you know some of this was directed right at Paul. It wasn't directed at them. Now they were they were catching some some pushback because they supported Paul, but it's personal to Paul. And so what Paul is saying is, don't think that y'all forgiven him, but I'm still holding a grudge. Can we do that? Are are, are y'all good with forgiving someone even if you were the one that was that was most severely damaged by it? Are you sitting there going, well, the church may have restored this guy or restored this woman? But I have it. I'll begrudgingly go back to the church, but I'll try not to. I'm not going to look at that person. I'm not over it. I'll never forgive them for what they did to me. The church might have forgiven you, but I ain't. Well, Paul says that's not my example. My example is I forgive him too. I'm done with it. I don't hold it against him anymore. And that's important for us to take a note on that. Remember what we said uh, and. uh if, if to not forgive people that have wronged you, the only person that's going to hurt is you and me. And and Satan loves that kind of bitterness. I was talking to a brother yesterday. I said I can tell when I do anything. Let's use bitterness. I was using a different problem, but we'll I'll talk about bitterness. Anytime there's something that we decide I'm not going to do it the way God said, you know what Satan says? Well, I was hoping that's what you'd say. You just open the door for us. You just either open the door for your flesh or you open the door for demons or you open the door for Satan himself. Because he was like, man, I was hoping you wouldn't do it God's way. I cannot wait to make you pay for this. I'm going to damage your testimony. I'm going to damage your witness. We're going to get victory in this. Whew, I was afraid you were going to do it the way God told you to do it. All you do is, is open a door. All I do is open a door. We do that. So, uh, and Paul was not going to open that door. Uh, and, and then he says in verse 11, what does it mean by verse 11? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, exactly what I just said, for we are not ignorant of his designs. He said, it's not only possible that I'll forgive him, it's prudent that I forgive him because I'm not going to give Satan anything to work with. And he says, if we don't restore him after he has repented, Satan will have a field day. And he says, so let's don't let that happen, right? you got to be wise. you got to be wise to how the adversary works. you got to be wise to how the enemy works. you got to be wise to how dangerous your flesh can be. So then he goes into 12 and 13, and he wants them to know, my plans were not just overthrown, they were overruled. That's important. He wants to make clear, I didn't come up with changing the plan. God did. I was overruled by a much higher power. 
So look what he says in 12 and 13. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. So he said, I, I wanted to go to Troas and Paul wanted to get there. He, he, he said, I just don't have a rest in my spirit. Now, uh, Troas was near Troy, and this this was a golden opportunity. Paul had desired to go there and preach, and he thought the door had opened for him to go there and preach, and Titus was supposed to meet him there. And, and he was fired up. Think about that. Man, this is a mission trip I've been looking forward to my whole life. And you think about a dear brother uh, that would, was going to go with you, and you're like, man, Titus and I are going to go to Troas. We're going to be over there around Troy, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to preach the gospel to all these pagan people. I can't wait. I can't wait. I think this is what I should do. And he gets there, and Titus isn't there. He's like, where's, where's Titus? And so he knows then because Titus sitting there, you know what he realizes? Wow, I might have done this on my own. And I didn't really, I don't know that God is is in this, because God certainly could have had Titus here waiting. I mean, he's not here. So he immediately checks up, and and he expected to meet up with him. And when he didn't, he realized that that Titus also didn't have the news from Corinth yet, and there was no sign of them. So he said, "So I pivoted, and I went to Macedonia." Uh, and and at last we find out he does find Titus there, and he tells us that. So look look at fourteen. But thanks be to God who is in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and and through us spreads the fragrance fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So what he's saying is, when when I got there, I realized when I went to Macedonia, I I found him, and he said, and when I found Titus, I began to celebrate that I, wherever Titus was. That's where we were supposed to be, and guess what else they celebrated? When he found Titus, guess what Titus told him? What we now know. Hey, good news from Corinth. The guys repented. He brought me the good news that, that everything that I hope was happening at the church at Corinth, it, it was happening. So we celebrated that, and he said, we begin to celebrate, thanks be to God, this man who was once a hindrance to the gospel was now, um, you know, it, it, at one time he wasn't a very good advertisement of the power of the gospel. He's now been transformed, and just the transformation of this guy alone shows the power of God. Let's celebrate the re- restoration of this man that nobody thought could be restored. And they begin to celebrate that. And look at 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ. Underline that. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 16. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Now this, I love this. This fires me up, uh, and you're thinking, Rick, why? Um, and, and this is a question. I remember that um, my pastor of over 20 years did a message on this, and I remember the kids talking about this, and it was one of my favorite memories of when your kids get a message and they get it and we're going back, and you know what we'd start saying? Do you smell like Jesus? Because Paul's saying we should smell like Jesus. And do we? Or, or do we put off a foul smell? And, 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 and what, what he is saying here, though, but he's going deeper with this analogy. Remember, Paul was very well-versed on how to approach pagans, very well-versed at it. You remember when he found they had all these different gods, and he also had one, one monument that was set up. Remember this in Acts? They had, one, they had one monument set up that said, basically, this covers any god we didn't think of. 
And he looks at that and he goes, I'm going to tell them that that represents the one and only living God. I'm going to use this. Oh, you know why y'all don't know what to do with this? Because y'all don't know who the real God is. Let me tell you the God that y'all have not mentioned. And he begins to use that as an opportunity. Well, he also was, was very familiar with what would the Romans do when they would come back from war. And they would, of course, have captured a lot of people. I think they said at one time, if you remember when we did the Book of Romans, I think they said at one time there were 60 million slaves in Rome. 60 million. Okay? So they were pretty good at rounding people up. And so, and of course, they would kill a lot of people too. So when the Romans would come back from war, they would march in in this impressive processional and, of course, they would all be throwing flowers. You ever heard that when you throw flowers at the victor? And they would throw flowers. And then they would light all this in, the incense and the smell and the aroma would be part of the celebration, except for who? The slaves, the captured, the defeated. It was not a good smell to them. That was a bad smell. That was the smell of death. To the victors, it was the smell of life and victory. But to the defeated, it was the smell of slavery, the smell of execution, the smell of defeat. And he's using that analogy because he knows those reading this letter will get that. What he's saying is if we're in Christ, it's the smell of victory. But for those who've rejected Christ, the aroma of Jesus is the aroma of death. That's how important our message is. If they reject Jesus, what we're celebrating will be for them eternal death. Think about that. And he's using that analogy of coming in from the war. And, th- and that's really resonating with those that are reading this. So what we have to ask ourselves, and if you're watching this and listening to this, is, is, is the fragrance of Christ something that you celebrate? Are you someone who loves sin so much? Are you someone that keeps rejecting the call to repentance, just like the man that that Paul was dealing with? Keep rejecting the call to repentance, that the aroma of Jesus for you is actually more of a smell of death. Is it the smell of life and victory over sin? Or is it the smell of death and slavery of sin? And then we have to ask the question, if people encounter us, do we smell like Jesus? Or do we smell like death? So then he gets into um, the final verse. And, and I love when he says the only person, as he said in 16b, the last part, who is sufficient for these things? Jesus. Only he can transform us into something different. Only he is sufficient to forgive us our sins. Only he is sufficient to give us a new life. And then we get to 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The fidelity of a true disciple of Jesus. The fidelity. He said, there's a lot of people that go out here and they too are preaching Jesus. 
but there's not fidelity in what they they preach. They're peddlers. They're they're they're. We have them still today in churches everywhere. Peddlers. They're nothing but flim flam. They're scam artists, and they use the the gospel for their own gain. They are not sincere, sincere, and they don't have a fidelity that they are true to Christ. In their lives, they live a double life, and they're nothing but scam artists. And Paul is saying, we're not in that lot. We have fidelity when we go out and preach. We are sincere. We are true to God's word. We don't water it down for consumption. We're not going to go into a situation just like you had to deal with this man and say, hmm, if I preach directly from the scriptures today, I may not be liked. And when I go to pass that plate and I start trying to, to line my pockets, I better, you know, I'd like to have a church that has thousands of members, thousands and thousands and thousands. Hmm, what's the best way for me to do that? I'll tell you what, I'll water it down. I'll, I'll dilute what God says. I'll give a different version of Jesus. And what I'll do is I'll pick and choose the parts of Jesus that seem to be more palatable. And I'll leave out the parts like count the cost, deny self, narrow gate, hard, few, holiness. All that's gone. Repent. People don't like to be told to repent. And then you realize that if that's the case, the person doing that says, I really couldn't care less what happens to you when you die. I'd just like for us to live in the now and see how this is going to benefit me, the so-called shepherd that can't be trusted. I have come to the conclusion that I believe that these type of people that manipulate like this and they plan to manipulate, and you find out that they didn't have a moment in their life where they got into sin because they just made a mistake. We all can do that. But they, they plan and manipulate and live a life that's perpetually in conflict of what they claim to believe. I do believe that those people do not believe in God at all. Because if they do, they're really stupid. Because they certainly don't fear him. And Paul wants us to know that he is not in that lot. He said we are sincere. We certainly are gentle. We certainly love you, but we are unapologetic about what is true. And we will not change God's word in order to make it easier to sell. We're just not those kind of people. So at the end of it all, I think we see Paul in this, this chapter kind of giving us a lot to apply to our lives. You never, ever, ever hear him saying, compromise the truth to get along. You don't hear that. But you do hear him say, be careful how you throw your weight around. Be sure that what you're doing comes from a place from loving God and loving people. Be sure that when someone does repent and they want to be forgiven, that you forgive them. Be sure that you don't hold sin over people's heads for the rest of their lives. And never, ever forget that, if it, if, if, that every single one of us are all equal at the foot of the cross. An equal need of redemption. But he is not saying, because that's the last thing he says, I didn't say that you do anything to the truth. The truth stands. And we are not peddlers of the gospel. We preach the true gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. 
And thank you for this incredible message uh, that you spoke to us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, I pray that you find us uh, worthy of the call that you placed on our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you forgive us of any sin that we have uh, between you and us. I pray for those, Lord, all across uh, the country and around the world that may be listening to this or watching this, either live or on archived. I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to mold them into the people that you've called us to be. And we know right now, every one of us, None of us, those of us that are completely redeemed, those of us that are being transformed, there was a day that we too had to repent. And I pray, Lord, that, um, uh, that those that need to repent right now will turn from their sin and turn to you, and you are willing to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any of us right now, based on the example of what you gave us today, that have people in our lives who have repented, they have apologized, they have changed the way they're living, and we're still holding it over their head, that we will correct that as soon as possible and let the person know God has forgiven you and so do I because he forgave me when I didn't deserve it. We pray all these things, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Thank you all for being with us.